What up? Coming from Ocean Beach, San Francisco, California. Hey, everybody. I am just sitting in my car at the beach, the parking lot, Ocean Beach, and I'm watching this amazing search and rescue exercise occurring out in the ocean with the helicopter. And uh, they lowered this this thing into the water. It's like one of those... uh, what are they called journeys or attorneys? I don't know. One of those table things. And it was attached to a cord. It was lowered down into the water. Um, you know, there was actually a man attached to the cord too. And it looks like they're just practicing right now for, you know, future rescue purposes. So that's me at Ocean Beach. I'm just hanging out. Just got me some exercise induced endorphins from running i ran uh just down the lincoln boulevard uh pathway sidewalk all the way to uh the cliff house just checked out the view and uh, that was actually the location for the magic flow bus weekend that we had in san francisco and that was amazing it was an amazing group of people super kind a bunch of professionals people different walks of life and uh yeah it was incredible we walked that whole pathway all the way up to the cliff house doing a walking meditation and i challenged everybody to do it in silence so it was a silent walking meditation and i got them to just kind of feel use all their senses um you know notice things observe and pay attention to to different aspects during the walk whether internally or externally and the whole point with that exercise is to even look at our uh, monkey mind you know whether thoughts are arising as its own on its own or whether you're identified with those thoughts and that's the trick with mindfulness is paying attention to those thoughts and asking yourself questions where these thoughts are coming from are you actually thinking them or are thoughts thinking themselves so it was a cool exercise that we did everybody did an excellent job did it with flying colors got to the top of the cliff house there with an amazing view looking down at that long sandy stretch of beach in ocean beach and uh from there we was just describing what we had noticed and uh people talked about noticing some birds um noticing somebody playing an 80s song and and wanting to belt out the tune but discipline themselves and um just different things from here in the ocean paying attention to their thoughts and uh the sky all kinds of observations were made and with the blessing of my dear friend from New Zealand he is a Maori chief of one of the tribes there and uh, he's he's basically runs tribe shift which is a cool community of people around the world that uh, practices the ancient Maori principles um, of you know connecting and and being one with the planet and with each other. So I got Chief Keppa Micah's blessing to 
dude was traditionally known as a Maori greeting known as a hongi. And that's spelled H-O-N-G-I. And hongi is a greeting where you approach somebody, um, you're face to face, you press noses together, you look at each other in the eyes, you press your forehead together. And it could be done with eyes open or eyes closed. But the whole intention is to share the life force energy of breath together as you hold each other by the shoulders. You press your nose and your forehead together, looking into each other's eyes or eyes closed, I believe. And um, you inhale and hex- exhale at the same time and really just feel each other's presence and give respect and honor to each other for the life that you share and uh so we did that together as a group and it was beautiful it was a beautiful connection this is something that i feel is sort of slowly slowly fading away in society is the interaction in the flesh in the physical um, people are now hiding behind screens or you know looking into their smartphones and not really making eye contact um, it's becoming too much of a PC politically correct culture where, you know, people can't even express what they're feeling. And, you know, this is the whole point of hangry and horny is to, you know, exercise these silly sort of primal things that we experience on a daily basis, whether it's our thoughts or the thoughts that are running through our minds and some of the things that we've noticed. But we've basically have lose con- connection to each other on just the physical because of technology. And technology is awesome. I mean, this is why I'm able to speak to you right now. It's why I've been able to connect with many people around the planet um, through the Internet and also access information. But... It's just going too far to the extreme where we're forgetting how to say hi to strangers, to make eye contact, to voice our opinions and have a, uh, you know, a very thoughtful debate, not to knock somebody's position, but to truly understand and express how we feel and have the ability for each other to listen to each other, even opposing viewpoints just to expand other ways of seeing the world and having sort of feelings towards certain topics. So that was an awesome weekend and we're going to be having more of these magic flow buses uh, throughout different cities uh, in North America. We're doing most of them in California at the moment, but the moment, but we're having a lot of interest in international cities as well. Which brings me to a point, which is the next podcast episode is with uh, Patrick McEwen, the author of The Oxygen Advantage. And if you've listened to the prior, I think the first episode, Zero, that I'd done, I described doing some breathing practices using um, the nose, uh, otherwise known as nasal breathing. And I learned about Patrick McEwen through uh, Brian McKenzie's group in the Art of Breath. 
and they basically had a sort of systematic approach to various breathing practices around the world that were practical and situational on which sort of breathing practices you can do to shift your your mind state your your body state so patrick McEwen uh, met up with him in ireland and um you know had an amazing interview with him he was so graceful graciously shared his time and and um you know back to the hongi which you know you're sharing life force energy the breath of life um through that greeting with another human being by pressing your nose together and forehead and sharing that inhale and exhale sharing that life force amongst each other so i feel like you know we can't toss out technology it's it's incredible but we have to get better at using it in a mature way and that includes social media which i've left you know a few months ago did like a 30-day challenge where i didn't use social media and it was an incredible feeling it was a neat thing to not have that what i've called the dopamine slot machine in our pockets where you're just pinging getting pinged all the time by notifications and you know buzzing vibrations or those sounds similar to what happens in a casino in vegas with slot machines and they figured out a way to get people addicted to their own endogenous high and endogenous meaning you know the chemicals that are released within the body that have a drug-like effect uh depend on dosage so like i said earlier i did a exercise induced endorphin uh protocol just by running so anytime my monkey mind is going off i i run and exercise just to kind of shut off that prefrontal cortex that's responsible for critical thinking and planning but sometimes it goes haywire and that's also part of that whole hangry and horny uh you know tongue-in-cheek thing that you know i've been talking about on this podcast so I've been all over the place, and I just want to go ahead and introduce you to Patrick McEwen. He's he's doing some groundbreaking scientific work with breathing. And uh, without further ado, enjoy this episode with Mr. Patrick McEwen. All right. Okay, and now I'm going to do like three claps to like do the... time that with that <laughs> all right patrick welcome to hangry and horny thanks very much Tony. it's great to great to be charging with you i appreciate you taking the time we're here in your home in ireland mm-hmm. it's beautiful um travel far and wide to come see you <laughs> sure thanks so much to be here you know it's uh it's very chilly outside it's not typically your your winter weather but uh it, it's good for you know clarity yeah absolutely kind of gives you that mood boost right for sure yeah yeah, yeah. So you um, had basically had some issues when you were a child uh, mm-hmm. with like fatigue and clarity, of course, and yes. then uh, sleeping as well. So how did you come to understand like where breathing had a play in that? Sure. I came across it. It was completely by accident. You, you know, there's 
hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people, um, who were obviously experiencing similar symptoms to what I had experienced as a kid, um, not just during childhood, but also into my teenage years. You know, I was a chronic mouth breather. I'd always got a stuffy nose. And uh, I had asthma. And oftentimes it would ask me, your nose is blocked. So when the nose is blocked, you're mouth breathing. And when you're mouth breathing, then it's feeding back into your asthma. But it's also fe- feeding into nasal obstruction. And the other aspect then is it affects sleep. And it also affects your stress levels. So it's not just that asthma is feeding into every single one of them. But it's the influence of your breathing on asthma and the influence of your asthma on your breathing that's tying back into sleep and back into anxiety. So, you know, I just came across by accident. I was reading an article in the newspaper back 1997, 1998. I read the article, yeah, and kind of came across it again. It was written again somewhere else. And I followed up on it with Dan because I was a chronic mouth breather, so I could identify, you know, talking about the importance of nose breathing for helping to protect the lungs because... We often consider that our skin is the the maximum area of the human body that's directly in contact with the atmosphere. Right. And the skin is two meters square, if we were to measure it. Yeah. Whereas in actual fact, it's our lungs which are the maximum area of contact directly with the atmosphere. Because every breath you take, you're taking in atmospheric air and you're taking it directly into the lungs. And if you were to open up the area of contact of the atmosphere to the lungs, it's about 75 to 100. Well, it's between 50 and 100 meters squared. So say on average, it's about 75 meters squared. So here we have an area of contact that's 30 times greater than the skin. Wow. And yet we don't think of protecting the lungs. And of course, the lungs have their tremendous organ, their ability to, to breathe, you know, whether it's 12, 14 breaths per minute, every minute, every hour, every day during sleep. And it's going on for 80 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, we, we do a lot of things that were just false beliefs out there about breathing. And um, there's very little attention about the importance of, of breathing through the nose. And, uh, you know, I think it's really time that we get back to basics. Yeah. So how old are you when you discovered this fortuitously? I don't know my exact age, but it was back 1997, 98. So if we were to time it back, it's going back about 20 years or so. Okay. Um, so I'm going to be about, to, say, 23, 24 years of age. Okay. Now, at the time, like I had gone through university, I'd finished all my studies. But, you know, when you're thinking about the simple thing of, say, having incorrect quality of sleep, and I'm talking about quality of sleep rather than quantity of sleep. Anybody who sleeps with an open mouth, it significantly increases the risk of sleep disorder breathing. And that's going to include, say, whether it's upper airway resistance, um, whether it's hypopnea, that there's a reduction to the flow of your breathing, or even obstructive sleep apnea or snoring. You know, that has some negative impact on your sleep. And as a result, when you wake up, you wake up quite fatigued. Now, if you wake up fatigued, your concentration levels are going to be reduced, and also your mood is going to be reduced. Anybody who wakes up very tired, they don't, you know, you don't have a, a good day as a result of a poor night's sleep. Right, you know, right. That's happened to me, like everything. the same thing. Like yeah. I basically would have this long sleep, but yes. I would wake up more tired than when I went to bed. Yeah. And yeah. then the rest of the day was affected. And usually it wasn't until about like four in the afternoon that I would be alert. But sure. that was after a nap, after lunch. Sure, and then, sure. then I'd be up like a night owl the whole entire night. So it just affect this like yes. vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah, totally. One is feeding back into the other. Um, we know from studies, 50% of children are mouth breathing. 
Very few people are talking about the importance of nose breathing with kids. We don't know from studies with adults because it's seldom looked at, but it has to be in around the same, you know. I've had thousands of people come in through my doors, poor sleep, poor stress levels, poor breathing, and uh, I'm not saying it's a cure-all, but yet breathing is one of those fundamental things. If you get it right it can affect other functions within the human body. And it's funny because if we can't breathe, then we don't live, right? Yes, so, for sure. But, but it's the last thing people think about. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's like it's most people will say breathing, it's this involuntary activity. You know, how you breathe is how you breathe. But we have to consider this, Tony. Our life and our way of living is really affecting our breathing. Stress will influence your breathing, lack of exercise, excessive talking. You know, if you're talking all day, um, especially how many jobs nowadays demand talking. Mm. Um, we're talking, for example. Yesterday I was talking all day. The day before I was talking all day. All of these things impact your breathing. So factors of modern living really do influence your breathing. And the one thing about it is how we breathe will literally influence our blood circulation and also oxygen delivery from the blood to the cells. And we can change our breathing to improve our blood circulation to help open up the airways and also to improve body oxygenation. Wow. So, um, like, okay, so you had this experience as a 20 something year old, yes. you were grinding university, you came yes. across all this information about breathing and you yes. started to apply it. Just started applying it to myself. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to start working in this field. I qualified in the, in the area of business and economics. That's what, that was my background. So I was actually in the corporate world. Um, but the one thing I'll say, like going to university, for me to get exams, I had to study twice as hard as my peers. Yeah. Because I was looking at the page, but I wasn't taking in the information because my attention was stuck in my head. I didn't have the ability to concentrate. I didn't have the ability to hold my attention and to focus. And what that means is then your productivity is reduced. Your quality of work is diminished as a result of it. So I was driven um, and I was able to get my grades on the basis of that. But it took a lot more work. Were now, you an athlete at all? No, I wasn't an athlete. I wouldn't have been an athlete because my health pretty much from my childhood wouldn't have allowed me. Now, okay. I played a game called hurling. Yeah. Um, I played that for many years, maybe 10, 15 years. That was as a, as a child into the teenage years that I finished playing that game and it's spelt H-U-R-L-I-N-G, um, hurling. So I played up until about 18 years of age, which my last school was Sing Street CBS. Um, I did a sp spade of boxing for a couple of years. So that was it. Like, But I wouldn't have considered myself an athlete. Okay. My health would have been preventing me and always in the way. And even if it was getting into the ring... Because I was mouth breathing all throughout the day and mouth breathing during sleep, I was always excessively breathless. Right. So during a game of hurling, there's a fair bit of skill involved. You're playing with a stick and a slitter. It's a very fast team sport. I was number seven. Um, it's corner left-hand back. And I was probably able to get away with it with, with a certain amount of skill. How, however, had I known about now what I know now, if I was to go back in time and change my breathing patterns, I think it would have made all the difference because no matter how hard you train, you plateau. And also, you have to consider that how you breathe every day is going to have influence how you breathe during your sports. Right. You cannot have poor breathing patterns during the day. And, you know, it has to affect you during your sports. It does affect you during your sports. 
Yeah, so it's interesting because me being a former athlete, it was probably the only time I actually felt good, you know, yes. because I was like yeah. forced to breathe. But at the same time, I've had issues with the sinuses. So sure. you have this cool thing about uh, unblocking the nose, yes. which yeah. is really simple technique. Yes. And yeah. um, so before we get into that part, but like, how is it that kids all of a sudden this natural thing where, you know, most animals are breathing, is it correct out of the nose, except for like a couple maybe, but um, where is it in the childhood development where they go from nasal breathing to mouth breathing? Yeah. Um, It's not exactly known when, but the, the, the breathing of the mom during pregnancy is going to have some influence of the breathing um, of the baby when, when the baby is born. And there's also many lifestyle factors then that will contribute to, to baby's breathing. For example, for even the physiological trait is the baby, does the baby have a tongue tie? If the baby has a tongue tie where their tongue is tied a little bit to the floor of the mouth, there's a frenulum there. And if the frenulum is too short, the tongue is tied to the floor of the mouth. And as a result, then the baby doesn't adequately breastfeed. So breastfeeding isn't, isn't, isn't just for nutrition. But it's also for exercising the muscles of the face. So if you have a baby who breastfeeds for a period of time, they develop very good muscle tone. And if you develop very good muscle tone, it's easier to keep the lips together. Whereas if a baby is lack of breastfeeding, say due to a tongue tie or society pressures on mums, you know, they have to go back to work. Um, They have huge mortgages. Both parents have to work. And, you know, that's a societal issue. Mm. So society is often forced the mom to go back to work so then the baby then uh, doesn't get adequate breastfeeding and also they're introduced to soft foods and soft foods isn't going to exercise the jaws whereas our ancestors were breastfeeding and eating hard foods and that developed the jaws so maybe that is one aspect of why there's a more common incidence of mouth breathing in children um, nasal obstruction is very common, you know, about 30% of the population in the Western world will have some degree of nasal obstruction. They may have it all the time. It could be perennial rhinitis or it may be just hay fever. But even still, since 1923, it has been documented. You can open up your nose by holding your breath or by doing physical exercise. And all it is, like the nose is a wonderful organ. It's responsible, according to Dr. Morris Cottle, for about 30 different functions in the human body. Your nose has a tremendous capacity to influence your arterial oxygen uptake, influence the amount of oxygen delivery to the cells. It conditions and protects the air as it comes into the lungs. You've got a gas nitric oxide. When you breathe through your nose, you pick up nitric oxide. You carry that into the lungs. It helps open up the airways. And also, when you breathe in and out through the nose, the nose is more likely to stay open. But the vicious, I suppose, not the vicious thing, but I suppose the vicious circle is that if the nose is a bit stuffy, most people switch to mouth breathing. But when they switch to mouth breathing, their nose is going to get stuffy. Yes. So you'll never fix your nose by breathing through the mouth because even the purpose, and oftentimes people say, breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And it is correct that your nose is going to moisten and warm air on the way in. But on the way out, your nose is there to trap the heat and moisture from the air. Mm. And it's by trapping the, the heat and moisture from the expiration, from the exhalation, that it helps open up the nose. So nasal breathing also slows down breathing. Like if you breathe with your mouth, you'll tend to breathe up our chest. Right. Um, and that's normal. You can, you know, if you were to look down at your chest, take a breath through the mouth, 
you'll see the chest rises straight away. So it's often that the mouth and the chest is directly linked, mm-hmm. whereas the nose and the diaphragm is directly linked. So people talk about the benefits of deep breathing, but they're going around with the mouth open. You will never establish diaphragmatic breathing unless you switch to nasal breathing. And I'm not just talking about nasal breathing during the day. I'm also talking about nasal breathing during sleep. And also, for people with sleep disorder breathing, even though the nose imposes 50% resistance to your breathing during the day, the opposite happens during sleep. So it's beneficial that the nose imposes resistance to your breathing during the day. It slows down your breath. And researchers from Stanford Medical School, they've isolated in March of this year, there, there was a paper published that there's a group of neurons that are pretty much spying on your breathing. And if you breathe fast, these neurons are relaying symptoms of agitation to the rest of the brain. Whereas if you really slow down your breathing and you breathe slowly, these neurons are going to relay um, you know, messages of relaxation to the rest of the brain. So it's not just that stress changes our breathing, but how we breathe is going to influence our stress. Nose breathing is the key to helping with stress and anxiety. And then with sleep, if you breathe through an open mouth during sleep, you'll tend to breathe using your chest. If you're not using your diaphragm, the upper throat muscles, which the purpose of these muscles in the upper airway is to keep the airway open during sleep. You know, you need to have this airway open. And if you're mouth breathing and you're breathing hard, you're going to cause cooling and you're going to have drying of the upper airways. This is going to contribute to inflammation. This will narrow the upper airway. As the airway becomes more narrow, it's more prone to collapse. If you stop breathing during your sleep, um, the negative pressure then that's created, you know, as part of inspiration, like the harder you breathe, the greater the negative pressure that you create in the upper airways. That's going to contribute to collapse. But we need these muscles to work hard. You'll get these muscles to work hard if you breathe using your diaphragm. Mm. If you breathe using the mouth and you're mainly using the upper chest, these muscles aren't going to work the way they should. Right. So the nose just naturally has a resistance because it's a smaller opening. Pretty much. And also there's turbinates located within it, you know, and the, the extent of the nasal cavity, if you put your tongue into the roof of the mouth and if you drag your tongue along the roof of the mouth, all the way back until you feel the soft palate. So the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. Now, most people think the nose is to think it's this piece in the face. That's only about 25% of the volume. In actual fact, the volume is going back into the skull. So that's how important it is. And, you know, nature is not going to waste space. Nature is not going to take space from the brain to devote it to an organ unless it considers that organ to be very important. There's very few functions in the human body which are just there for the sake of it. And the nose, many people don't use it. They sleep with an open mouth. They do their simple daily physical exercise, including walking, walking with an open mouth. They have their mouth open when they're on their computer or whatever. Um, it's not good. Yeah, yes, you see it everywhere. Yes. It's really chronic. And yeah. so in society, you have the kids developing from the womb to the mom yes. because of not being able to suckle. Yes. And then, you know, you grow up with this chronic mouth breathing. Yes. And now you're exposed to now what we're known as like inflammatory foods and yes. all these things that congest antibiotics. Yes. Yep. And so... That's just compounding. It's like a yeah. perfect storm. Yeah. Everything is feeding into it. Yeah. Um, and there's another aspect. Uh, 60% of the growth of the face is achieved by four years of age. And 90% of the growth of the face is achieved by the time the child is, is 12 years of age. So if you have a child open mouth breathing, 
from, say, the age of three up until 10 or 11 years of age, the open-mouth breathing will alter the craniofacial structure of the face. In other words, when the mouth is open, the face tends to sink downwards. Um, we develop narrow jaws, and also the jaws are set back in the airways. And I've got some of the features from having my own mouth open. We need to keep the airway open. In order to develop a good airway, we need to have the lips together during rest, and we need to have the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth. So as a child, the lips should be together, and the tongue is resting in the roof of the mouth. And the top jaw, which is the maxilla, will form around the shape of the tongue. The tongue is U-shaped, and that's going to help form the maxilla. But also, the tongue is exerting a pressure to drive the face forward. So the lower part of the face should be forward, mm. and if it's forward, it opens up the airway. Whereas my jaws are set back. Now, if your jaws are set back, or if you get extractions of, te of teeth, oh. for example, airway is reduced in size, and if airway is, is reduced in size... We're not going to be a good athlete and possibly have sleep problems for the rest of our life. Incredible. So what have you done being an adult? So you discover yes. this in your 20s. Yeah. And obviously you can't change or can you change? I mean, yes. they say that once you develop the bones, it's set. But I've heard people actually getting like some sort of um, work done, having somebody put their hands in their mouth yes. and like structurally doing Yes, yes. And design. I think it's, it's very good to do that, especially during childhood, because the, 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 suitors, the sutras haven't fused. Um, but in terms of, you know, the jaws, what can you do? I think we're a little bit more limited with adulthood. Now, I feel that my jaws have come forward a little bit. Be, by just being conscious of keeping the tongue and the roof of the mouth and by having my lips together. I also then had some orthodontic work done. You see that I have brackets oh, yeah. on. And I'd orthodontic work done as I had maxillary expansion, slow, gentle maxillary expansion. So I had my jaws widened by about one and a half centimeters. Wow. Now, so that, that happened over the last eight, three, four years. Um, there's some really tremendous orthodontists that are aware of this problem. You know, you've got Dr. John Mew, who's based in the UK. He's probably the founding father of, of orthotropics, but functional orthodontistry. And then you've got Dr. Jim, Jim Bronson, who's in Washington, D.C. And um, you've got Dr. Bill Hang, who I go over to because he's looking after straightening the teeth and also, you know, ensuring that there's an adequate airway. So there's orthodontists who really know about airway, but then there's orthodontists who don't. Mm. So it's not just, and also we have to consider when should children go to an orthodontist? If the child is waiting until they're 11 or 12 years of age, by then the face is pretty much grown. So yes, the orthodontist can straighten the teeth, but straight teeth don't make a good looking face. But a good looking face, if it has grown the way nature has intended it to grow, with the lips together and the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, a good looking face will create straight teeth. And the other aspect is, if you have a mouth breathing kid, and pretty much all mouth breathing children will have crooked teeth, they have crooked teeth because they don't have their tongue in the roof of the mouth. And as a result, the pressures exerted by the cheeks inwards and the lips inwards are creating a very V-shaped maxilla. So there's overcrowding of teeth. And the problem is not that the teeth are too big. The problem is that the jaw is too small. And the jaw is too small because it hasn't developed adequately. Uh, Dr. Kevin Boyd, he's a, a fascinating dentist from, he's a pediatric dentist from Chicago. And he's also, he's got a huge interest in anthropology. So he looks at skulls. And when I was at a, I was at a talk there in Arkansas back last December, 
and we went out after the talk and we opened up a box and they had skulls in, in the box. And they're looking at skulls to make sure the ma- measure the maxillary width. And these skulls were 800 years of age. But yet, the development of the face back then was so much better than it is now. So something has happened very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at Dr. Weston Price, he'll say that first-generation children became outbreeders after they switched from a traditional diet over to a processed diet. This is happening very, very quickly. And I really think the thing is, yes, of course, if you have your lips together and if you have your tongue in the roof of the mouth, it's more likely to create a beautiful looking face, but it's more likely to create a better functioning individual. Because if you have the mouth open and if you have a small airway, your sleep is going to be affected. And if your sleep is going to be affected and if you do have an increased risk of obstructive sleep apnea, that's going to lead to lifelong health problems. Wow. So have you come across like anybody that actually like goes against the norm, modern norm in terms of the face structure and it it goes into like epigenetics now because they maybe had a, a, that type of traditional environment before the industrial age. Yeah. Like genetics are going to play a role, but environment is going to play a role as well. Um, it's not that every child who has their mouth open, who really see devastating consequences. You know, there's going to be a variance depending on genes. Um, And some people we see have fared better than others. However, why take the chance? Right. You know, I think really what we need to do is, what is the most natural thing in the world is to nose breed. You, You lift up any medical textbook. They'll talk about the functions of the nose. They'll talk about it heating or warming the incoming air, moistening the incoming air, filtering the incoming air from different particle, particulate matter, um, protecting the lungs. But also, you know, if you're going around with your mouth open, you've got a dry mouth, bacteria is more rampant, you're more prone to gum disease and dental cavities, inflammation of the upper airways, bad breath, for example. Um, I think there's really enough evidence out there and it just makes so much sense. First, do no harm. There's no side effects from teaching somebody to breathe through the nose. It's logical and it's common sense. I think we need to start doing it. I was at a talk and it was organized by the AOMT back about a year ago. And, you know, we were having a discussion. It was attended by doctors. Oh, what it, what does that stand for? So it's the, the, Ameri- the Academy of Oral Facial Myofunctional Therapy. Okay. And Mark, Mark Moeller is, is, is the, he's the managing director of it. And their whole premise is to ensure that children have adequate oral functioning, you know, that they have correct swallow, lips together at rest, that they're properly using the muscles of the, of the upper airways, basically the face and the upper airways. And by doing that, then that child will thrive. So anyway, at that conference, and there was quite a lot of us there, different medical professions were there. And the talk came up about mouth breathing. And one professor of medicine that was in the audience, he started talking about, well, breathing is involuntary and we breathe the way we need to breathe. And he considered it that mouth breathing was the normal. And we need to change that. You know, we need to, we need to embrace it that doctors, orthodontists, pediatric dentists, and all of the healthcare professionals that there's a huge drive to ensure correct breathing and breathing through the nose. If anybody goes and looks through the literature, yes, of course, 
you know, you'll never get something 100% in the literature. But the weight of evidence is showing nasal breathing is king and we have to start getting it out there. So you went into Russia to learn yes. this method. And so tell me more about that. Like, and how was it Dr. Butenko? Yes, yes. Um, so the article, the newspaper article that I read back, you know, back in 1997-98 was about the work of this Russian doctor. And part of his research was determining the ideal composition of, of oxygen for astronauts going up into space. So that was part of his research. And then as a, as a young medical doctor, he was sitting beside six sick patients' bedsides, observing the patients. And he noticed, he said, the sicker they became, the harder they breathed. So he's saying, like, why are these people breathing harder when they get sicker? Because surely harder breathing, you're getting more oxygen. You, should, you know, on that basis, if you're breathing harder, you're getting more oxygen, it should be helping you. Yeah. But he was seeing a connection between sickness and hard breathing. So he wondered, was it the sickness that was causing the individuals to breathe harder? Or maybe was it the hard breathing that was feeding back into the sickness? So there was a feedback loop there. Uh, so he started practicing on it himself. I think he was about 26 years of age at the time. He had high blood pressure. His systolic over his diastolic was 220 over 110. Wow. So it was pretty high. And he started really slowing down his breath. And he found within a short time that his symptoms from the high blood pressure, his symptoms started to alleviate. So then he knew he was onto something. So he started looking at the research. And there were two researchers who had documented the effects of over-breathing. And one was called Bohr, Christian Bohr, and another was Verigo, W-E-R-I-G-O. Now, Bohr in 1904 said that the partial pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood is very important because in order for oxygen to be released from the red blood cells, you need carbon dioxide. If we're breathing hard, we get rid of CO2 from the lungs. We get rid of CO2 from the blood. We get rid of CO2 from the tissues and from the cells. And it's the loss of CO2, the reduced partial pressure of carbon dioxide, that causes a reduction in the amount of oxygen to be released from the red blood cells to the cells. Mm. And that was a huge discovery, you know, the Bohr effect. The harder you breathe, the, the more you get rid of CO2, the loss of CO2 increases blood pH, and as a result, the bond between the red blood cells and oxygen strengthens. Now, we have to consider this. 2018... Yes. How many people believe that it's good to breathe hard? And how many people talk about increasing oxygen uptake in the blood, increasing blood oxygen saturation, and increasing oxygen delivery to the cells from breathing harder? But that's not the case. You know, you breathe hard, it's not going to improve, or it doesn't increase the SpO2, the saturation of your hemoglobin and oxygen. It is true that if you breathe hard, you will increase... Um, a small amount of the amount of oxygen dissolved directly in the blood. However, if we were to look at how oxygen is carried in the blood, it's relatively insoluble. So there is a small amount of oxygen that is dissolved directly in the blood, PO, millimeter of mercury pressure. Most of oxygen is carried by hemoglobin. So hemoglobin carries 70 times more oxygen than what is dissolved directly in the blood. If you breathe hard, you don't increase the saturation of your hemoglobin with oxygen. And that's the main carrier of oxygen. You will increase, by a small amount, the amount of oxygen dissolved directly in the blood. 
But what else is the hard breathing doing? It's getting rid of CO2. And it's the loss of carbon dioxide that's causing the bond between the red blood cells and oxygen to strengthen. So the affinity of the hemoglobin for oxygen increases. And it's like this. I can measure your blood oxygen saturation. It's very easy to do. You put a little pulse oximeter. It's got a little infrared light, and it's able to detect if hemoglobin is saturated with oxygen or not. Most people we see have got good oxygen saturation. The issue is not the amount of oxygen in the blood. We need to get the oxygen from the blood to the cells, Mm. and we need carbon dioxide for that. And that's where the importance of CO2 comes in. This gas, carbon dioxide, has often been vilified as a, as a waste gas. You know, right. bring in yeah. oxygen, get rid of carbon dioxide. But in order for oxygen transfer to take place from the lungs, from the blood to the cells, we need CO2. Yeah, we so need to it's hold a dance, a partner, yes. right? And so, but we've been taught that you want to get O2 in, you yes. want to breathe O2, keep yes. breathing harder, breathe deeper. Yes. Like. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and intuitively, we know that light breathing is good. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you walk down the street and you see some guy and he's walking down the street and he's totally out of breath, you know, he's breathing hard, you're going to say, well, at the very least, he's unfit. He's not just unfit. Look at how unhealthy people breathe. They breathe hard. Mm-hmm. Look at how very healthy people breathe. They breathe well. You know, the rule of thumb during rest is you shouldn't see much breathing movement. You shouldn't hear the person breathe. Their breathing should be very regular. It should be through the nose and it should be um, driven by the diaphragm. There should also be a natural pause after the exhale. But breathing is subject to change. Like, just as my, I develop very poor breathing habits. Um, but the wonderful thing about the human body, we can change that. Um, whether it's neuroplasticity, that, you know, there's new neural pathways formed in the brain. And, of course, neuroplasticity is going to play some role with breathing. And there's also a biochemical aspect of it, resetting the body towards a higher tolerance of, of carbon dioxide, for example. So there's a number of factors going into it, but you can change your breathing pretty easy. It takes awareness, it takes practice, but look at the benefits. You can influence your blood circulation, you can influence your oxygen delivery, you can improve your health, and you can improve your sports performance. It's amazing because this adaptation happens so quickly. Yes. It doesn't take much. And yeah. and also we go into the idea of uh, being conscious breathers, right? We have the ability yes. to be autonomic, but yeah. also like we can be conscious at the same time. And yes. we're probably like the only animal that does that. It's Yeah, that's true. Um, it, it's the most wonderful thing to follow the breath. It's tremendous for quieting the mind, for example. And we also, you know, in, in terms of, we use a breath hold time called Bolt Score. So basically it involves taking a normal breath in, normal breath out. You pinch your nose to hold your breath and you hold your breath until you feel the first involuntary movements of the breathing muscles. Now, if your Bolt Score is less than 20 seconds, it's suggestive of breathing pattern disorders. And most recently there was a paper that was published in October of 2017 I think it's the International Journal of Sports Physical Therapy. And they looked at different ways of assessing breathing. And they looked at, say, the biochemical aspect, looking at capnography, measuring entitled CO2. They looked at the high-low model, the biomechanical aspect of breathing. Um, They looked at breath toll time. They looked at various questionnaires, including Nijmegen. And they concluded that if your breath toll time is less than 25 seconds, 
And also, if you answered positively to four questions from a functional movement screen, the four questions include, do you feel tense during the day? Do you yawn regularly or do, do you notice yourself yawning during the day? Do you have cold hands and feet? Do you sleep with an open mouth? So if you score positively to those questions, and also if your breath hold time is less than 25 seconds, there's an 89% chance that you have breathing pattern disorders. Now, if an athlete has a breathing pattern disorder, they're tending to use their upper chest more. They're not getting an efficient gas exchange, and I'll talk about that in a second. But also, if you're, not, if you're using your upper chest, you're not using your diaphragm as effectively, but your diaphragm is there to provide stability to the spine. So your diaphragm is very important for balance. Um, it's very important for motor for movement, and it's very important for helping to reduce the risk of injury. So when we breathe through an open mouth, as any of your listeners or, or viewers can see, you'll tend to use the upper chest. So mm-hmm. you're bringing more air into the upper parts of the lungs. But when we look at the human lungs, most blood concentration is in the lower lobes. So then there's a gas exchange. There's a poor gas exchange taking place, poor ventilation, perfusion. So when we breathe through the nose, we automatically start taking the air deeper into the lungs. But also, when we breathe through the nose, we pick up nitric oxide. And as we carry nitric oxide into the lungs, nitric oxide redistributes the blood from the lower lobes to the upper. Mm. So that improves ventilation perfusion. And it's on that basis that it's estimated arterial oxygen uptake improves by 10 to 15% just by nose breathing. And I'd also say is, I say to the teenagers coming in, you know, I say, you're a mouth breather. I says, have you ever seen the consequences of mouth breathing? Put it into Google. So go to Google and just put in mouth breather and see what you come up with. Wow. I'm going to do that. that. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So, I mean, it just goes so far in terms of uh, all the different sort of um, problems that are happening in society because of this, you know, anxiety and stress and trying to make a living, all these things, school, all this pressure. So it's just contributing to stress and and not being... Uh, given information on like how to regulate yeah. your stress because stress it's not that stress is bad you know it's a reaction it's, to it's, it yeah yes. exactly yes yeah yeah um i remember i was in university i was a, working as a dishwasher and you know when i was doing it just to get it get a, a few euro um and i was in sweden at the time it was a very busy kitchen and I always used to remember there were two chefs there. This going back 20 years ago. It was, it was in Uppsala University. And I noticed one chef, the kitchen would get really busy and he was able to cope with everything. And then another chef, which, who was about the same age and same training, everything was similar. But when he was there, everything would fall asunder. So here I'm trying to, okay, the situation was the same. Yes. The kitchen was busy. One chef was able to cope with it and the other chef would fall asunder. And it was only later I realized that exactly what you said, it's not the situation that's the problem. It's our reaction to it. And at the time, I would have had a very active mind. And if you have a very active mind, you don't have the ability to focus. And then if you get stressed, of course, you get involved with that. And as you breathe harder, there's less oxygen getting to the brain. So the very time you need to have focus and clarity, you don't have it. So what was happening with the chef that wasn't able to cope, he was just getting overwhelmed by the the, the amount of work that was coming in. And he didn't have the capacity to concentrate on what he was doing because 
all we can do is we cannot multitask. That's a myth. Right. You know, multitasking is about putting a certain amount of tension and then bringing it on. So it doesn't work. To do, to properly execute a task, we need to have 100% of our attention on that. We need to have good focus of the mind and we need to have good control over our thoughts. Most people, they cannot stop thinking. So when they're doing something, they only have a certain amount of attention doing on what they're doing. The rest of their attention is stuck in their head. And also, their mind is fleeting from one thing to another, to another, to another, that even when they do have some attention doing what they're doing, the mind is fleeting off somewhere else. And I think social media is a huge part of this. Yeah. Because the the social media, including Facebook, um, if I can mention brand names or whatever is happening, or even yeah, just, you know, emails, yeah. text messaging, they're a distraction. They d- distraction one after the other, after the other, after the other. Facebook alerts, etc. So the brain now is trained to be distracted. And 2002, Microsoft did an interesting study. They looked at the average attention span of the Western mind. And in 2002, they said it was about 12 seconds. Yeah. And they did a similar study then in 2012 or 2013. And they found that the attention span had reduced to eight seconds. So the attention span is reduced by 25% in 10 years. And they said this was a problem because a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. So if you want to look at that paper, just put into Google, just put in uh, Microsoft goldfish study. So our attention span is reducing. Our ability to concentrate is reducing. If your ability to concentrate is reducing, your productivity is reducing. If your productivity is reducing, you're not going to excel and get, say, even the occupation that you love, mm-hmm. you know, because I believe that we should all do a job that we love to do. Right. You know, we're working, we spend most of our working life, you know, we spend more time at work than we do in family. Um, so even if we're working, if we're working 40 hours a week, if you're spending that much time every week, every year for decades, you better get a job that you like to do because otherwise your quality of life is going to be influenced. And it's coming back to, I, when I changed my breathing, it made a huge, tremendous aspect that I was felt more directed and maybe I became more intuitive because the, the conscious mind is quietening that you're more open to reading the situation better or to go with your gut feeling. Um, and when I went with my gut feeling and, you know, I went into this feeling, I, I seem to have found a job that I love to do. It makes a difference. If I was to say one thing to my daughter, I'd say, listen, doesn't matter really what you work at. You need to get a job that you love to do. Of course, you know, it has to be within the realm of expectations. You know, that kind of way. Right. Like it has to be real as well. But at the same time, if you love your job, you will excel at it. You'll be always interested in finding more. You know, you won't be getting up on that Monday morning saying, oh, my God, I hate my job or the dreads of having to go yeah, to work. being hung over after partying all weekend <laughs> to, like, true. escape from the week before. That's true. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So th- that's, there's that aspect again, of it as well. Yeah. That people people are getting, you know, if you see the amount of opiate use in the United States, and it's terrible. Um, there's one statistic. The United States has... And I don't want to pick in the United States here, but I'm going to put it out there because it's reflective of Western modern, where we're going. One statistic, the United States has 5% of the world's population, but it consumes 75% of the world's prescription drugs. 
That is a problem. Wow. And I really think that, you know, when we're talking about modernity and when we're talking about progressing, is progression involving that we're under the remit of pharmaceutical intervention or surely progression is that we have the tools and the capacity to take control of our own health and to do what we need to do as opposed to be reliant on whether it's the prescription drug or whether it's the opiate. Um, of course, it's lovely to take a few drinks. I do it myself, you know, but it's to the point that you become all-consuming. Right. And I think a lot of people are doing it to drown out mental commentary. Yeah. So good breathing, good sleep, and slowing down the breath to access the calmer and quietness of the mind, I think it's very important there. Yeah, I find this sort of trend now that in life we tend to wake up when we come across some sort of conflict or some conflict in ourselves where we feel like we're having like a meaningless life or stressed all the time, anxiety, yes. depression. Some people go the route of like intoxicating themselves or you just hit a wall and sometimes yes. you wake up and fortuitously you come across a, a research article, you meet a guy in Russia yes. who was also curious and open-minded and was like observing and listening and noticing things, right? And, that, and I think that's the common theme that we, as we start to go through life, we discover like how we want to be and we, yes. maybe there's not so many examples out there but like people like you that are coming out there that found your passion yes. through through a problem you, you've created a solution yes. um but i want to go into like meaning like and flow states because when you're in the present moment you talked about being intuitive and going yes. to your gut instincts you start to notice things that you didn't notice before yes. right yeah. and yeah. and so what is that like for you when you or even if you can go back to that time when like the light bulb like went on you know and you yes. started to notice yeah like yeah. wait a minute this yeah. is a way of living that i want to be in more often yes yeah um when I started first applying it and the whole power of the breath and focusing on the breath, I had a very active mind. And it's almost as if you have a, a set of sunglasses on that you're looking through this filter and that you're interpreting everything through all of the thoughts and the layers of thoughts and the layers of thoughts that society has built up, you know. And I remember I went to this just one hour talk and it was attended by a guy at a hotel in Dublin. And he was talking about presence, but obviously he was obviously talking, but he was to, he had he had to have some presence himself, because I it was quietening my mind the more I listened to him, and my conscious mind was quietening, and I started becoming more in the present moment, and I had no idea what was happening. By the way, this was the first my first kind of clue into it from that aspect of it, and I walked down Grafton Street, everything was brighter. I could hear the noises and I could see what was going on around me. Now, my school was located that I had to walk Grafton Street pretty much every day as, as a schoolboy. I knew that street, but I never watched that street. I never seen that street. I was never on that street with my attention in the street. Yes, I was walking it with my body, but my attention was completely stuck in my head. The next morning I woke up, my mind was very active again. But I kind of had a taste of what it was the previous, the previous night. That something, there's something that was not quite right. Didn't really know what it was. Hadn't a clue, to be honest with you. Um, 
in around the same time I was using the Brett. And I started going more and more into it. I came across Eckhart Tolle's book then in 1999, The Power Now. I bought that in Canada. I looked at that. I was reading through it. And that was bringing my mind into a conscious stillness as well. That I wasn't reading it just for the words, but there was a power that seemed to be behind the words that was quieting the mind. I made a diligent effort because I suppose, as you said, if you want to make a change in your life, you have to be fed up of where you were before that. And when I look back at the, the stress levels and the overactivity of the mind and, you know, all of that stuff, that gave me the momentum and the drive to do something about it. So once I knew that I was onto something, I really made it a kind of a diligent effort to pay attention to my thoughts and also to bring my attention onto the breath. Because by focusing on the breath itself... It reduces, you know, the repetitive and the mindless and all of those negative kind of thoughts that are going through the mind. Now, of course, they come up, but they come up less. Yeah. And also, if there's a situation, it's a lot softer. You can deal with it easier. And you can also have more focus during the situation. It also gave me the the, the encouragement and it didn't prevent me from achieving what I wanted to achieve. And I'll tell you it this way. A lot of people they'll set a goal for themselves. But then the conscious mind, the doubts start creeping in. And they go with their doubts. You know, so it's almost that their doubts are completely preventing them from achieving anything because they start on the on the journey, they start heading towards their target, but their doubts knock them off target and they never reach the target. When you've got some focus over your mind and when you when you pay attention to the thoughts that you're having, when you're becoming kind of more observant to your thinking when you start noticing yourself having the, the negative thoughts you can pay attention to them but you can steer yourself out of them and that was a great tool you know and the other thing is when you focus on your breath you're not going to have as many negative thoughts anyway right so it allowed me to use my gosh the feeling was that yes this was the line of work that i should be in i didn't come from a medical background I didn't come from a breathing background. I knew nothing about, say, yoga, nothing about anything. My background was economics, and that was my background. Economics and business was my background. So what I went from was from one completely different background to another. However, it was the whole, you know, it was just as often as I, you know, as I felt this was the right thing to be doing. I was lucky. Um, and I think also that people who do tend to meditate... And people who do pay attention to, to to their breath, that helpful events tend to happen. So, you know, there were different things that came into my life that were very, very brilliant. Um, because unless they had come in, it wouldn't have happened. My effort wasn't the drive of this. Yes, of course, I loved what I was doing. And I was putting in, you know, what I could do into it. But I needed outside influences. I need outside help. And it seemed to come more readily. I couldn't imagine that it would have came had I had all the negativity in my head because it's almost that the negativity was resisting everything. And whether it's doing it consciously or subconsciously, I don't know. Um, but life is a lot easier. You're more productive. You get better results. You produce a better quality of work um, when the mind is quiet. We need to take control over the mind. We spend years in education. 
And Western education, we're training the brain to be able to analyze and to reason and to break information into tiny pieces. We're training the brain into be a superb analytical tool. However, if you train the mind how to think, you also need to train the mind how to stop thinking. And many people, they are not able to stop thinking. People with lots of stress cannot stop thinking. People with lots of anxiety, they cannot stop thinking. People with depression, they are depressed with thought. Is it, is it really, you know, a biochemical malfunctioning that's taken place? Or is it the stressful event? Is it a combination that there's a feedback loop there? And I think it's a feedback loop. And that's why taking attention out of the mind onto the breath, it's so important. And not just to follow the breath, but to really slow it down. And to slow it down to the point that you allow carbon dioxide to accumulate in the blood, even just by a small amount. Because as CO2 increases in the blood, the blood vessels will dilate and the brain gets more oxygen. So we need the brain to get sufficient oxygen to calm down because if there's inadequate oxygen getting to the brain, the brain is more likely to be excited. So we're focusing on the breath from a number of different approaches. One, sleep. Nasal breathing during sleep, light breathing during sleep. We get a better sleep, we wake up more alert. Paying attention to the breath during the day, the, the active mind quietens. Slowing down our breath to improve optimum oxygenation of the brain. So it's not just about the psychological aspects of following the breath. We also need the physiological aspects. And I like your listeners, you know, to, to give it a go. Yeah. Put one hand on, on their chest and one hand on their tummy or just above their navel and really feel the airflow as it's coming in and out of their body and really pay attention to slowing down the speed of the air. So say, for instance, if their breath is that in and breath out, and if it's a breath in and it's a breath out, instead to really slow it down. So it's a really slow, gentle, soft breath in and a really slow, gentle, soft breath out. And it's to soften the breath so that you're taking about 30% less air into the lungs. Now, ironically, when you breathe less, you increase CO2, the blood vessels open up, and more oxygen gets released to the cells. So counterintuitive. Totally different. Yeah. It's totally different to the deep breath, totally different to the big breaths most people take. And the only way for you to determine if there's some truth in this, spend five minutes practicing it. So you're focusing on the breath, you're really slowing down the breath, you're really softening the breath, but you want to slow down and soften the breath to the point that you feel air hunger. Now, air hunger isn't signifying that oxygen levels have dropped because the stimulus to breathe is not oxygen, unless you were at altitude. The oh. stimulus to breathe is carbon dioxide. So when you're slowing down your breathing and when you're feeling a need to breathe more, that's telling you that there's an increase of CO2 in the blood. The body is very sensitive to a buildup of CO2. For example, the CO2 in the lungs should be about 40 millimeter of mercury pressure. You also need to have, well, okay, alveolar CO2 will determine arterial CO2. So the CO2 in the lungs is 40 millimeter of mercury pressure. The CO2 in the blood is going to be the same, the arterial blood. When you slow down your breathing and CO2 increases, if the CO2 increases by between 2 and 5 millimeter of mercury, it'll increase ventilation by 2. So the body is very sensitive to, to a buildup of CO2. Whereas in actual fact, we can halve our oxygen levels before that stimulates our breathing. 
So carbon dioxide is something that we have to play with. And it's really about softening the breath to allow CO2 to increase in the blood and to see what effect that has on your blood vessels and also of your state of mind. I like how you say play with it too. So, I mean, that's what it comes down to because you're talking all this science and I can like follow with you because I have that background. But really in the end, like people need to like get that book (laughs) or your videos and really practice and play with that to get the experience because it it really uh, happens so quickly to adaptation with my buddy Andrew Mara that introduced us. Sure, Um, Even Brian McKenzie, like this awareness of breath and the art of breath and like the effects that yes. it has on our, our consciousness and yes. our state. Yes. But also physiologically, like, you know, it's, it's incredible how adapted the body becomes. And it's yes. not like it takes like going to the gym and working out, you know, yeah. it's really a simple, easy yes. practice yes. that's free yes. that yes. everybody has access yes. to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, totally. Um, like you can change your body temperature within three to five minutes by really slowing down your breath. Or if you want to open up your nose, um, it's not suitable, say, for if the female is pregnant or somebody's got very high blood pressure. But if you want to open up your nose, take a normal breath into your nose, normal breath out your nose, pinch your nose with your fingers and walk about holding your breath. And continue walking as you hold your breath until you, say, feel a medium to strong air hunger. Then let go, but breathe in through your nose. Wait a minute, do it again. And do that five or six times, your nose will start opening up. So when you hold your breath, your nose opens up. So when I said that if the female is pregnant, I meant not to do the breath holding. Um, or if somebody has high blood pressure, not to do the breath holding. But to do the reduced, gentle, soft, gentle, reduced breathing, it's suitable for everybody. We don't, we don't encourage it with somebody with first trimester pregnancy, but for the vast majority of people, it's completely safe because all you're doing is just gently softening the breath. You're gently softening the breath to change blood gases. I would say within three, three, four days, people will start noticing big improvement to sleep, uh, and in how they feel. And of course, it's relative to the practice of it. It's relative to how you put it into practice. But look at it this way. Anybody who's waking up at a dry mat in the morning, they're not going to wake up at a good night's sleep. So let's start with that. Um, we use, it, for example, a paper tape across mm-hmm. the lips. One tape, which is really good, is, is called lip seal tape. So that's lip seal tape. You can get it on the internet. The, you know, there's tapes now available in the market where they're specifically designed for placing over the lips. So we were using different tapes over the years, but now producers now are actually specific tapes there. And, you know, you'll find they're having the lips together during sleep. You're waking up really alert. If you've got really poor nasal patency, you could use a device called, say, mute snoring. Or during sports, it might be something like the turbine. It's something just to open up the nose. So... Most people... Like the breathe right. Breathe right's the same principle. Okay. So they're based on the Kotlin maneuver, just dilating the nasal passages. So if, for instance, somebody says, well, I'll never be able to wear a tape in my mouth at night because I'm going to feel too suffocated or my, I have a really badly deviated septum. Well, I'd say, first of all, start breathing through your nose during the day because the more you start using your nose, the more your nose will start working for you. Do the nose unblocking exercise. It'll take you five minutes. It opens up the nose. After the nose unblocking exercise, practice softening your breath. And soften the breath so that the body and the brain 
develops new habits of breathing. Right. As opposed to breathing hard during rest, you're breathing softer. You'll know you're making progress based on three things. One is your bolt score. And you'll see the bolt score pretty much. We spoke about it a while ago. Yes. Your bolt score improves. If your bolt score improves by five seconds, you feel better. The second aspect is, of course, you feel better. And the third aspect is that your breathing is lighter. If your breathing is lighter during the day, your breathing is lighter going to be during sleep. You have less snoring, less obstructive sleep apnea, but also your breathing is lighter during physical exercise. Lighter breathing during physical exercise is less breathlessness. And how many times, you know, or what, what imposes the limits during physical exercise? It's often the breath. Yes. It's your breathing that sets the limits of exertion, but you can train your breathing. Physical exercise doesn't normally train your breathing, except swimming. Mm. But if you train your breathing, you can influence your physical exercise. Yeah, so Patrick, uh, I love that you're given the sort of uh, signal that people can pay attention to see if they're like um, making some adaptations. Sure. Um, can you talk quickly about like people falling off the wagon? So like yes. you're going to start this, but it's a long game, right? Yes, of I've, course. I've been guilty of like trying to get an overzealous with enthusiasm yes. and doing it for like six weeks. And then something happens in life and I like completely forget, but I, I keep, it keeps like a reminder every time I hit that wall or my monkey mind going nuts. Sure. I'm like, okay, yes. get back to breath. And it's yes. just, it is like training a muscle. Yes. Right? It, it's like anything else. You know, we eat food every day and um, we eat food to survive. Well, focusing on the breath is going to be food for the food. mind. Yep. Um, you know, I can identify with people say who have anxiety and who have stress in that their mind can be very active. And when they start focusing on their breath, it can be very frustrating because they expect the mind to quieten, or at least they expect to see some results pretty quickly. The whole emphasis of this is not to do it for results. The whole emphasis, the goal is in the doing. So anytime you pay attention to your breath, even if it's for three or four seconds, it's three or four seconds that you've had attention on the breath, which otherwise would have been stuck in your head. We have to get out of our heads. You cannot live life by being stuck in your head. We spend most of our time stuck in our head. We don't see what's going on around us. We don't hear what's going on around us. We're partially awake. We're just enough awake that we don't drive into something. Yeah. And that sometimes will happen. Or we don't bump into something. But our attention isn't living life. We're here on, on earth to live life. You can only live life if you have your attention in life, in the present moment, using your sight or your sound or your feeling, your taste, your smell. We communicate with life through the five senses. If you're stuck in your head, you're not communicating with life through the five senses. The simple thing could be even just going down to a coffee shop. Most people go down to the coffee shop, they get a cup of coffee, they taste the first sip. They don't even taste the rest of the cup yes, because yes. their attention has gone into their head. Right. Or they're talking to somebody and they're not even listening to the person because their attention is stuck in their head, constantly analyzing what is the next thing that I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think really it's to start paying attention and just see, is there something in this? Are you constantly stuck in your head? When you're brushing your teeth in the morning, 
do you have your attention on doing what you're doing or are you thinking about something other than what you're doing? And here's an interesting study. I believe the app is called trackyourhappiness.org, but it was a Harvard professor and his students and one name is called Matthew Gillingworth and they assessed it was across a wide number of countries and a large number of individuals and they asked the individuals through the app are you thinking about something other than what you're doing at this time and the individuals through the app would send the feedback back they collected 250,000 data points and when they analyzed the data point points they found that the individuals whose minds wandered the most were least happy. And ultimately, life on earth is about achieving happiness. That's really where we're trying to get there. But people who thought, people who are, are more active thinkers, are least happier than people with a quiet mind. Well, if you're going to get the most out of life, I think it's important to take control over the mind because the mind is the filter through which everything in life is determined. Everything we interpret in life, we interpret it through the filter of the mind. But yet, we don't stand back and ask, how is my mind working? Because our mind can often be, you know, imposing severe negative limitations. And it's very easy. All it takes is awareness. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not something that it costs you nothing to follow yeah. the breath. It costs you nothing to pay attention Maybe to the Maybe that's why people don't like pay attention or do Probably. it because they don't value it, yes. you know, until like somebody's choking them or they're feeling yes. like they're choked or something, <laughs> sure. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They're choked it's, with life. Yeah. 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 Um, so two more things. I want to be valuable. With sure. You. I'm respectful of your time. Um, this makes me think about Star Wars. Okay. You know, so the analogy with the light and the dark, you know, in the okay. mind. Yes. And it's just constantly fighting each other and, yes, and getting yes. to that point of controlling the mind yes. so that you're getting more into a balance of the yes. force. Yes. You know, because I think that these thoughts um maybe they're primal or something. Who knows? There's just a momentum yes, of yes. you when you start meditating you start to notice like this is just happening on its own yes and it's just that point where you identify with when it's happening is when you get stressed out yes but getting control of it is is being balanced and being able to observe it yes being control of the physiology yes um that's been my experience so what's interesting we talked about people like being chronically stressed because maybe they don't like the the job that they do or the life yes. that they live. Yes. But now you're getting um, this uh, message out there, and and, yes. and so there's this other side of like um, being successful. And I'm so grateful that I get a chance to talk to you. Sure, of course. But um, you know, more people are wanting to find out about this, and so mm -hmm. now your business is starting to grow, taking a lot of your time, and so you're doing what you love. But yes. at the same time, you're talking a lot. Yes. So that's like, you know, so how are you managing that? It's just back to the practice, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's been a huge, a huge help for me um, in terms of just everyday life in practicing and putting into practice what I teach. Now, there's a number of aspects to it. There were times that I used to formally meditate. There were times that... You know, I would religiously set time aside. And I started to notice that I need to be able to have the same lifestyle as the people that I'm teaching. Because people are busy. And the best way to bring this into your way of life, 
that I would bring it into my way of life. If I'm talking, I will have some attention on my breath, especially talking to a group. Um, prior to a talk, I will spend time out to quieten the mind. During the talk, I will keep bringing my attention into the present moment. And I often feel that it imparts a better quality to the talk. And you bring the people that, that is listening to you into stillness. Because, you know, we must be communicating in some way. If my mind is active, I'm not going to be just polluting my own space, but I'm going to be polluting mm -hmm. the space of the people around me. And the more you focus on your mind in your everyday life, the more you focus on your breath in your everyday life, the more the natural that the brain automatically will adjust to that. So you'll start to notice that it's easier to control the mind, that the gaps between thoughts increase. My, my concentration then improves. You tend to know what you want to put the emphasis on. You know, when I get up, I will have a to-do list that's pretty long. But if you have the clarity, you'll say, okay, well, here's a few things here. These are priority. We'll get them out of the way. Um, you see that I have a treadmill desk. Yeah. I can do physical exercise when I'm on the laptop. You know, and th this is just a recent thing. Before, we would be sitting down. And I was like, right, it just doesn't make sense. It's not normal for the human being to be sitting down for eight hours a day. It's not normal. But society has driven us that way. So you can have a stand-up desk. You can, you can bring these way things into your existing routine without completely disrupting it. Because a lot of people, I suppose, they're fearful of embracing a new thing because it's going to take up time. Right. They don't have the time. Bring it into your everyday life. You yeah. carry your breath with you. You can be focusing on your breathing. You know, you're waiting for somebody. Two, three minutes, focus on your breath. Um, you're washing your hands, focus on your breath. You're brushing your teeth, focus on your breath. And just everyday life. And the more you do it, the more it becomes part yeah, of you. Yeah. It's so, more integrated with life versus being separated as a separate practice, yes. right? Yes. Um, and work level, your stress levels are better. Your concentration is better. Um, new ideas come into mind and your quality of work is better. Like I could not do what I am doing unless, and I don't know how some people do it. I don't know how they can manage to live an apparently, you know, reasonably happy life unless they focus on the breath. I think it's a huge thing for people to embrace. Can we end with, um, sort of like a meaningful life or like finding uh, synchronicity in your life? Because you had kind of talked about that earlier about, you know, finally accidentally yes. stumbling yes. into this yes. area of work yes. that you're in and yes. you've been doing. So yes. um, what is that like? Like what is flow for you? Like how is, how is that? How do you see that in your life? How does that come about? Sure. Um, we have an intelligence in the human body. We have such an intelligence. The functions of the human body are conducting themselves. They're happening by themselves without us having to consciously think about it. We have to tap into that intelligence. There's an intelligence in nature that everything is happening in nature. You know, the animals in the field... The tree is growing the way nature has intended to go. Nothing is happening with effort. It's happening effortlessly. Yes, there's periods of time in the animal kingdom 
that, you know, one animal may sacrifice another, but that's part of the cycle of nature. And even for the animal that has been the prey or been the victim, um, you know, that, that has been very short-lived. No animals and nature is struggling long-term. Only the human man, the human being, seems to struggle. And the animal who is struggling is because of the result of the human being. Yeah. I think the human being, you know, I think we have to start realizing the intelligence that's operating around us and the intelligence that's operating within us and to tap into that because we often consider that the intelligence of the individual is primarily the mind. The mind is only a small part of that intelligence. And this will give us the comfort to know that, and, you know, whether it's, of course, there's going to be some spiritual aspect to it, but the comfort to know that life conducts its business in a very synchronized, orderly, and tremendously intelligent way. And we're part of it. And, you know, it's going to help us too, but we have to be open to it and we have to get out of our head. So flow for me is a state of stillness where I feel at one with what I'm doing. Um, I don't want to give you some sort of definition, but, uh, you know, comfort, like your own experience, yeah, without any kind of religious overtones yes. or, yes. you know, cause I think those are stories as well. But let's like, yes. get back to being in this world. Yes. Cause yes. I've had these experience, psychedelic experiences. Yes. The, the answer always comes back is, are you growing corn? Are you, what are you doing while you're in this body, in this dimension? We yes. don't know anything else. So, yes, yeah. Yes, so yes. I really appreciate, like, you don't want to give a definition to it, yeah, but, yeah. but at the same time, like, how is it for you and your experience? It's, it's the happiness. You know, the one thing that I always want to, I never want stress over finances. Um, I also wanted to apply myself the best that I can apply myself, you know, within, and it doesn't matter what sort of occupation, what you do in life, whether it's, looking after your family, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's the ability to feel comfortable that you're making a positive impact on this world. Um, that you, that when, you, when you pass on, that the world will be in a better place as a result of you being here. And I think if we could all do that, the world would be a nicer place. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for that, Patrick. You're very um, welcome. So we have the oxygen advantage here. And um, where can people order this? And, and it's also in multiple languages, yes. as you have now on, on your bookshelf. <laughs> yes. um, the, the book itself, it's available in many bookstores. It's, it's of course, available online. Um, we also have our websites and YouTube channels, Oxygen Advantage, with a lot of different information, different videos. Some of the exercise that I've spoken about, I did a TEDx talk. That will include some of the exercise. So people could start just by looking at the exercise. The information, of course, in the book. We've put everything into the book. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what we were talking about, we covered some ground on it. Right. So, yeah. It's, yeah, and you actually on your website have a online course if people yes. want to really go deep down the rabbit yeah. hole with this. Yes, yeah. yes. So yeah. that would be the application of it, you know, showing people the exercise so that they can practice them from the comfort of their house. Thank you so much, Patrick. You're very Appreciate welcome, it. Tony. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Wow, that was an awesome episode with Patrick. Great time chatting with him. 
Yeah, it was really neat. After the interview, we had a chance to have some lunch together and go a little deeper into flow and the mysteries of the universe. And uh, hopefully we'll get to tap into that down the line when I get to see Patrick in the future, if he shall shall make it so. And um, yeah, it was just great to be able to hang out with them for that little bit visit him in western ireland so beautiful there and it just you know reiterates my point that i made in the introduction of this podcast about you know the lack of connection that we have in society there is a illusion of connection through the internet and social media and the illusion of these powerful neurochemicals that are released in our body just from interacting with others online but it doesn't come close to the benefits that we have interacting with the physical you know we're in the physical body in the physical world and even things like meditation can be taken too far and the now trendy psychedelic world which has a lot of uses and can be medicinal when used responsibly and with maturity so that is the reason why i feel so strongly that we need to bring balance and harmony to technology and our humanness to be able to merge the two as we enter this new age of i call actualization um i'm not the first one to sort of bring this point up this is part of the human potential movement and there's an art to self-development but not the sake of becoming uh, superhuman but just more human and really embrace our humanness our hangry and horniness um all of it you know um and that includes technology so um i just think that it's important that i meet the guests in the flesh in person in the physical and that way i can truly be present with them and them present with me as we can get more of those social cues that are missing online and through texting and people not actually picking up the phone and calling each other or meeting in person so and that is why the magic flow bus is so important to me because i want to bring balance to technology and the future i want us to be able to have meetups in person and to be able to shake each other's hand or give each other a hug to have real meaningful conversations discussions and even debates about issues in life and us living this precious life on this blue planet spinning whirling around the sun blasting through the galaxy um you know it's it's pretty incredible the mysteries of life and why i'm so fascinated with flow and its potential for bringing out the best in us and making us better and and most importantly kinder human beings that are becoming stewards of this planet and passing on wisdom and leaving this planet a better place for future generations to come and this is not new i mean all the ancient cultures that really were connected and spent time you know 
communing in nature and really, you know, communing with each other and with themselves when we're really in that special place where we feel whole and full and complete and sufficient and we just can't help to share our gifts and our geniuses with others and bring value to the world that will provide solutions to problems especially when the hangry and horny side of us get hijacked by the ego um and the ego is important that's what gives us personality what gives us our individuality and it's just learning to grow and develop and mature that ego so that now you're the spirit that's driving the bus and not being driven by these primal selfish motives that are within the system that just helps the species survive so magic flow bus that's what we're doing is we're sharing this information this technology in a way to transform and actualize yourself um, in this short time that we're here on this plane and uh, plane planet um, so if you're interested and you really find value out of these podcasts I do have a Patreon page which helps me, you know, grow and develop this uh, this platform to get the information out to people around the world, to broadcast, to help find the others, to connect us as a tribe, a community of people that feel the same way and want to help each other grow without judgment. Um, feel free to uh, donate um contribute uh anything uh financially there on the patreon.com slash forward slash uh flow real f-l-o-w-r-e-a-l that's patreon.com so p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash f-l-o-w-r-e-a-l flow real and um yeah i really appreciate it this enables me to actually fly to my guests uh, drive to my guests or to any mode of transportation so that i can interview them in person but also to be able to um share the magic flow bus to the world and help get this information out to people and um you know so your contribution helps grow uh this vision that I have of just sharing these amazing information, amazing guests like Patrick McEwen and Andrew Mars and Matthew Myros of the world um, and uh, many more soon to come. So thank you so much for listening and uh, go out there in the world and connect with other human beings, practice saying hi, make a big smile make eye contact and even give a hug if you can and just be a kind human being so thank you very much and i'll see you guys on the next podcast peace